Hello, Long View Point. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Micah chapter 4. I'm excited that we get to go back into this uh, incredible book and study what God has for us. I hope that it will be a great encouragement for you today as we dive into this chapter and, and finish this chapter out. We started the chapter two weeks ago, got to look at the beauty of the New Jerusalem. Well, here we're continuing to see the hope that we have through Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer. We love pottery in the South. I think about all the pottery shops and, and gift shops that we see around here. Every single one of them has pottery. It may be McCarty's, it may be Peter's, it may be Etaby or Coontown, but everybody loves pottery in the South. It's a valuable piece of, of hosting and hospitality and entertaining people. But in Japan, they have a different pottery technique. In Japan, they will, will form the bowl or form the, the pot, the vase that they have, and then they will smash it and they will break it into pieces. And then they put the pieces back together with melted gold. As we read this passage, think about that. Keep that pottery in your mind about how it became even more valuable after it was broken because of the way that it was molded together with that melted gold. That God is not done with the people here in Micah chapter 4 yet. There's, there's suffering, there's pain, there's heartache, there's struggles that they are going through, consequences of choices that they've made and sin that's been deep in their heart and in the heart of the community as a whole. But God is still steadily working in their lives, just like He is in ours, no matter what we're going through. So hopefully you are in Micah chapter 4, verse 6 is where we will start, and we will finish out the chapter today. This is what it says. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame. And gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of, Zion, of Jerusalem. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished that pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you saying, Let her be defiled and let our eyes gaze upon Zion but they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arrive, arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron and I will make your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. 
You see, this, this section, this chapter is actually divided up into three sections. You can catch it there, verse 6, where it begins it with, in that day. That's a reference back to chapter 4, verse 1, talking about the days that we're actually living in now uh, and how we're going to, to continue to go forward in that. But then you see it again in verse 9, where it says, now, why do you cry aloud? That's the start of the next section. And then again in 11, now many nations are assembled against you. But as you're looking at the present circumstances that the people of Israel are in, the people of Judah are in right here in Micah, you are seeing suffering all around them. Every single section that we just looked at, there is suffering mentioned and their suffering is great. It is full of shame and despair. You look at the first half and it's talking about assembling the lame and gathering those who've been driven away, exiled out of the promised land, the land that had been given to them from all the way back at the end of the Exodus, where God had promised this land flowing with milk and honey. And now he's telling them that you're about to be removed from that land and there's shame and there's despair of what is happening there. But then you look in verse 9, and it says, this is almost mocking from Micah. It's, it's really calling them to, to check their motives, to check their hearts, but it's a continuation of that shame. It says, now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished that pain seized you like a woman in labor? The, the people had put so much pride and so much identity and so much into the king of, all the way back at Saul. And now there is no king in Jerusalem that's able to save them. They know that, that the promise of this exile is coming. As you continue those verses, there's a progression there. First, they go out from the city in verse 10. And then the next part, they dwell in the open country. And then finally, it talks about them going into Babylon. There's a shame and, and concern of what their future holds because what they had their identity wrapped up in now was taken away from them and they were left suffering, wondering what their future held. We told you before from the very beginning, Assyria is at the door. They are about to attack. They, and God provides protection for them in that. Uh, Babylon comes later and removes uh, Judah from here. But many nations are assembled against them and are wanting to attack God's people in his place. They are actually being disciplined by the Lord. They are coming thinking that they are going to, to be the discipline on God's people. But God has a plan that he is working in and among them. And it's interesting as we look at these passages, as we look at these verses, we realize that in each of these situations, they are reaping consequences of sin. It could be their own sin, the, the sin that it's talking about here in the first few verses that, that God has afflicted them. He's disciplining them. He's trying to draw them back to him, even if it means taking away these things that are in the world that they have found their identity and their purpose in. And so it could be that they are facing consequences from their own terrible decisions. It may be that they're facing consequences of decisions that other people have made that affects them. Or it could be that they are facing decisions, that, uh, things that are just part of the world 
being messed up from sin as a whole. You know, every single one of us could be in that situation as well. We're either going through a struggle, going through a hardship because of sin in our own life, sin that Christ is trying to, to sanctify and, and take away from us. Maybe it's our identities found in things that shouldn't be. Maybe it's our pride is found in things that it shouldn't be, that we need to be resting in Christ alone, but it's our sin that's causing struggles and causing hardships. Or, or maybe it's the sin of other people. Maybe you haven't done anything wrong in this specific situation, but somebody else is making choices and you're getting hurt by those choices. You're not the one acting on them, but yet you're the one receiving some of the consequences because our sin does impact more than just ourselves. Or maybe there's a sickness or a, a hardship or a death that, that honestly is just because it's not, the world is not the way it's supposed to be. That when God created the world in Genesis chapter 1, He said it is good. And when He created man, He said it is very good. He was proud of the creation that He had made. But then Adam and Eve, ever since Genesis chapter 3, sin has marred and messed up the entire world for all of us. And we're all perpetrators of that sin and we're all victims of that sin as well. But, as we look at these verses, realize that there is always hope in our suffering. No matter the reason for the suffering, no matter what the suffering is, we still have hope. Our God is still faithful. He is still good. He still loves us. And He is still doing incredible things in us and through us as we go through sufferings. We know that every single one of us go through sufferings. This is not anything new. This is, doesn't matter if you've only lived for a few years or if you've lived for a hundred years. We have difficult times that we go through. Some of them may seem small to others, but they may seem really big to us. I think about some of the challenges that teenagers face on a daily basis that as we look back on them, we, we may not think that they're as drastic of a, of a problem as the teenager does. But for them in that moment, that's a big deal. That's a big problem. That's a struggle and a hardship that they're having trouble carrying. And we need to come alongside them and help them carry those burdens. But we all go through it. Through struggles, through hardships, through difficulties. But I think that there's some truths that we can take from these passages that should apply to our lives as we're going through those sufferings, as we're going through those hardships, those trials, those tribulations. So this is what we have. First, in the midst of your suffering, know that God is wanting to use you. In the midst of your suffering, know God is wanting to use you. This is in the first section here, verses 6 through 8. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who are cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. 
as I'm reading through that, I think about 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 that tells us, look, once you were not a people, but now you are a people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. There is an identity that we have in Christ that he has pulled us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and he wants to use us to expand his kingdom. That beautiful imagery there of he is the king reigning over all of us in Mount Zion. He is the ruler and reigner of all, sovereign over everything that we're going through. And he wants to use our suffering for his glory and our good even. He is wanting to use you. We are a strong nation. You know, as I think about the lame and the afflicted, the exiles that we're talking about here, these were the outcasts of society during this day. These were the people that, that would not have seen a value. They couldn't have been priests. They couldn't have been um, uh, able to do a lot of things that, that we take for granted as part of our worship in Christ today. But that is who Micah is get, saying that God is giving the blessing to specifically in this situation. That God is blessing the, the lame. He's blessing the afflicted. He's blessing the exile. These outcasts, these people who we would say don't have a lot to offer to the kingdom. But yet here is Micah saying, look, these people are who God wants to use to make a strong nation. A nation that will be reigned from the king from on high forever and ever. Some of you may think that you are too weak to be used by God that you have a past that, that you just can't overcome. Maybe there's an illness that you have to where you just feel just weighed down all the time. You don't feel like you're being useful for the kingdom of God. But I want you to read these verses and be encouraged that God is calling the lame to himself. God is calling the afflicted to himself. He is making a remnant out of people and he wants to use them for his kingdom. As I was reading this, certain people throughout history came to my mind. I think about Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was uh, an advisor to President Nixon, and he was the first person uh, who went to jail for the Watergate scandal, spent seven months in prison because of that. But he came to know Christ, and through that started a prison ministry that has ministered to people all over the world. His sin was what we would consider a great sin, but God in his even greater mercy and grace used Chuck Colson to change people's lives with the gospel. Maybe you're, it's not your sin that's weighing you down. Maybe it's a, a health situation, right? But I think about Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon is considered the, pre, the prince of preachers. Uh, just incredible the amount of sermons and books and articles and newspapers and all these things that he put out. But did you know that he was hampered by gout? That there was times where his hands and his feet and his head would even be bandaged because of the pain and the suffering that he was going through with his joints and, his, and the gout, that way it was crippling to him. That he struggled with depression at times, wondering how he could even be used by God and how his wife was often bedridden because of the pain that came after her childbirth. And that lasted for years, this chronic pain that Susanna had. But yet, here we are over a century later and so many people have been impacted by his faithfulness to be used by God even in his suffering. 
Or I think about Adoram Judson, a 19th century missionary who at one time was deathly ill. He came back from that, but while he was on the mission field, he lost two wives and multiple children. But he was the first missionary to Myanmar and saw countless lives changed to where even when you go visit believers in the Andaman Islands, you realize that they're a product of his work in Myanmar a hundred years ago. He went through great suffering, great hardship, great heartache, and yet God used him in incredible ways for his kingdom. So don't ever think that you are too weak to be used by God. Don't ever think that your suffering is too great for God to use you because He wants to use you in incredible ways and that suffering may be something that He is using to catapult you into that, into those roles. I also love, as we're looking in this section here, He brings them together as a remnant. You're not alone. As much as, as this time of coronavirus and, and quarantine and self-isolating and all those fancy terms and, and we have to, to social distance, God calls us to gather together as a remnant, as a group of people. We need that community. We are built as relational creatures and, and we long for those interactions with one another. I can't wait to worship together, but know that you're not alone in your suffering. We see it in the Bible of the suffering of the people who followed after God. We see it throughout history of the suffering that's taken place. But also know that there are others who want to help carry that burden with you, that you are not alone forced to carry it on your own. That there are people who want to be praying for you, interceding for you, and also just listening to what you're going through, knowing that that burden is heavy that those struggles are real and that hardship is something that we as believers, as a family of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, get to carry together as a remnant. We do that strengthened by Christ, our King, but we get to do it together as well. So know, first and foremost, in the, in the midst of, of your suffering, God is wanting to use you. But I also want you to know that in the midst of your suffering, God is still working. He is still moving. He is still doing incredible things in the midst of your suffering. As you look, verses 9 and 10, we've read most of it, but I want to read it again so you get the, the full picture of it all. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished that pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country, and you shall go to Babylon. But listen to this. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. We can find the greatest encouragement that in our suffering, God is still working because He is our rescuer and our redeemer. He is willing to pay the price to 
save us from those things that are that are coming out. And it's not promising um, that you're not going to go through suffering. He never makes that promise throughout Scripture that life is going to be easy and just coasting through. No, but he's telling us that he is redeeming us and rescuing us. We see this perfectly in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when it talks about Jesus seeing the crowds and it says that he had compassion on them because they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion. He went, was moved to action on behalf of the people that he saw. That's what that term means right there. That he didn't just see it and think that's sad, but no, he was going to do something about it. Think about the suffering that Christ went through in order to redeem us from our sin. As I'm reading this in Micah, and he's talking to the people in Jerusalem, and he's talking to the people in Judah, but there is a picture here of the great redemption that we have paying the price for our sins. The suffering that he went through of going to the cross and being mocked and beaten and being denied by his friends even and having his friends scatter all over the place and feeling all alone and taking on the wrath of God for the punishment of our sins. Like Christ did all that to redeem you from your sins because it was a price that we cannot pay, but yet he paid it for us. We should just be in so much love with him because we realize that he is our rescuer, our redeemer, and our king who is willing to suffer, go to the cross. But in that, we get to see the crown of his glory, that he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, reigning supreme and we can say with Job and uh, Job chapter 19 verse 25 that we know our redeemer lives that he is our rescuer and our redeemer so i hope that if you don't know Christ as your lord and savior that you've never asked him to pay the price for your sins and be the, the king of your life that right here, right now, you will even pause this video and you will get down on your knees and just ask him to forgive you of your sins, to, to call on him as your rock and the author of your salvation. Because that is who he is. And he was willing to go through suffering, humbling himself, even to the cross, so that we can have that relationship with him. So know, like, here is the suffering. Here is the hardship. Here are the trials and tribulations that they're going through here in Judah. But yet, God is still working and drawing people to himself. The remnant of verses 6 through 8. And then the rescued and the redeemed in verse 10. So he is still working. But also know... That in the midst of your suffering, God has a plan. He has a plan. As you look at verses 11 through 13, it, it lays out the nations are assembling against uh, Jerusalem at this point. They're saying, let her be defiled and let our eyes gaze upon them, uh, or upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan that he has gathered them as sheaves to, be the, thresh, to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. You know, I can't tell you when your suffering is going to end. 
I can't make those promises. There, there are certain prosperity preachers who will try to tell you that if you just do this, then your suffering will be over with and, and everything will be smooth and great and, and God's promising you this great life. But nowhere in Scripture can we see that. I can't tell you when it's going to end, but I can promise you that God is, is working and doing something through your suffering, that He has a purpose behind it all. It may be for your sanctification. It may be for the salvation of others. It may be for, for so many different things. We don't know His plan. We don't get to see the whole picture like He does. But I want you to know that He loves you and He cares for you and He is still faithful no matter what you're going through. That He is drawing you even to Him more in your suffering. That you can trust Him and, and lean on Him, that He can be your rock and your shield and your fortress, that as you are, are going through difficult times, when the enemies are at the gate, when there seems like the, everything is going against you, here the enemies are, are waiting to attack, thinking they're going to take over the city, and yet you can still hold fast to the one who's holding you. You can still trust Him. And in our suffering, we're still called to rejoice. We're called to, to look at it in, in a completely different way. This is not to, to say that suffering is easy. It's not to make light of that. But we can rejoice in our suffering knowing that it fails in comparison to the glory that awaits us one day in heaven. Look at Romans 5, chapter th or Romans chapter 5, verse 3. It says this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, God is has a plan through the suffering, a purpose through that suffering for our good. But as you're going through suffering, also look at Romans 8.18, where it says this, For I consider that my, the sufferings for this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Our suffering as long as it may be here on this earth, it's still just temporary because there is a great and glorious kingdom, new city, king waiting for us one day. And so even in the difficulties of our suffering, even in the trials and tribulations, all these things that are thrown upon us, we can still rejoice in our suffering. I read a story the other day uh, about a former slave and pastor, a guy named Thomas Johnson. Uh, Thomas Johnson grew up on a Virginia plantation and for, for years was looking for every chance that he could get to, to escape and to run away and, uh, from the, the plantation. But one day in, he came into a meeting and um, came to know Christ for the, for the very first time and understand the salvation that had been given to him. And it, and it changed his perspective on things. And he still wanted to be free and was set free one day, he became a pastor in Chicago and praised the Lord for that. But he talked about how one, when the most difficult days on the plantation, this was years after he had been set free, in the most difficult days in the plantation, 
when the foreman and the master had been especially harsh, he always looked forward to that night when they would sneak into to one of the other slaves' homes and they would all get gathered there together and they would sing praises to the Lord. That even in the sufferings, even in the hardships, beyond anything that we can imagine, what they had to go through. And they couldn't even sing loudly because if, if they were heard, then they knew more punishment would be coming upon them. But instead, they were in this small house whispering praises to the Lord in the dark. That even in the sufferings, he could praise the Lord. That, that, was, that there was hope for the future for him. Well, I hope that as you are going through your sufferings, as we are going through our sufferings, that we, even if all we can do is just whisper those praises to the Lord, that we are whispering and singing because He is good and He is faithful. And no matter what is thrown at us, He is still an amazing King in God who we get to have a relationship and worship. And so no matter what our suffering may be, we can praise Him. So, at the beginning, I, I told you about the Japanese pottery, how it was broken and the gold melted in to, to mold it back together. I told you to think about that throughout this passage as we talk about the, the suffering there. But let me ask you, what stage of, of that are you in? Where, where, if, you were, if you were that Japanese pottery, where are you in that? Maybe, maybe, we, you know, we all go through hardships and maybe you're, you haven't gone through any major, major hardships yet. Maybe there's smaller hardships that you've gone through, struggles. But we're all going to go through big ones. And it's so important that before you enter in those giant storms of life, that you know who Christ is that you have Him as your Lord and Savior, and that you trust His goodness and His faithfulness. That that is your theology long before you enter into those storms of who God is as He's sovereign over all. So I hope that, that you are, are reading God's Word and seeing how much He cares for each of us and the way He demonstrated that on the cross. But maybe you're going through a hardship right now. Maybe you are like that pottery and you just feel like you are just broken. The world is just crashing in around you. I just want you to know that God is still there. He is not done with you yet. That He is still working in your life. And before you know it, you will be in that third stage where that gold has been melted in and you are brought back together and you are even more valuable. And God is using you for incredible things for His kingdom. And so make sure that, that you don't grow weary in doing good, but that you stay faithful and that you realize the faithfulness of Christ in those difficult times. Know that God is restoring you and repairing you, and He is rescuing you for something even greater. He wants to use your scars for His glory. So be faithful and rejoice even in the sufferings that you may face. Teenagers, uh, you may feel alone right now. Uh, you may just be ready to meet with friends, but know that we're here for you. That's the same for every church member and guest. 
We're praying for you often and can't wait for that time when we get to gather together as a remnant of believers, a strong nation, ready to worship and praise God together. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your goodness and that even in our hardships, we know that you are in control and that you love us enough to give us salvation, that you're our rescuer, our redeemer. And Lord, that you uh, are continuing to work and move. Lord, I pray that you use us, whatever our scars may be, that you will use us for your glory and the expansion of your kingdom. Help us to have a missionary mindset in everything that we do because we are your ambassadors longing to serve you. And this is all in your holy name we pray. Amen. Now, before I let you go, you know, I always like to ask some questions to allow you as families to, to think through these points and, and, and everything together. And so I just want to ask you a few questions. The first question is this. Is there something that you're going through now that you as a family could pray together about? Or something that, that we as a staff can pray for you about? We still have the prayer at longviewpoint.org. Send us an email. Send one of the staff members a text message. Call the church office. We would be honored to pray for you. But in your group right now, is there something you're going through that, that you as a group, as a family, can be praying for? If it's not right now, my second question is this. When was a difficult time in your life? And a follow-up to that is how have you seen God move and use you during that time? Number three, or number four, what are some ways that you've been able to cope with the suffering that you're going through? Is it scripture reading? Is it a certain passage of scripture that has just been something that you're able to hold on to? Is it singing praises? Is it uh, community and being able to talk to somebody else? What is it in your life that has helped you to cope with the suffering in a godly way. And then finally, this question. Is there someone you know that is suffering right now that you could reach out to? Somebody that's going through a hard time, a trial, a tribulation, whatever it may be, is there somebody that you could reach out to and be a blessing to them? So I hope this has been an encouragement to you today. I hope that as we continue to read Micah, I can't wait for the next two weeks. Micah 5.2 is one of the best like messianic verses. Micah 6.8 will be in a couple of weeks, and it just lays it all out there for us, summarizes the whole law for us. But I hope that today has been an encouragement that no matter what suffering you're going through, no matter what hardship it is, you have a God who is sovereign, who is king, and that crown shines bright in the darkness.